Welcome to Bed Crime Stories Podcast. I'm your host, T. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, bed crimers. As always, I wish you the best. To anyone new here, a warm welcome. Thank you for checking out my channel. Let me just ask that after listening to or watching this video, if you learned something or enjoyed it, please do me a favor and smash that like button. Now let's dig in. Now that we've seen the 18-page probable cause affidavit outlining some of the evidence investigators have collected that they say ties suspect Brian Koberger to the crime at 1122 King Road in Moscow, Idaho as well as the myriad search warrants that were served to so many different companies, legal experts have been weighing in on possible defense strategies. I thought it would be beneficial to gather all the commentary to paint a picture of what we might see if Brian Koberger goes to trial in terms of what his defense team will do to try to chip away at the evidence, as in how will his defense lawyers try to dismantle the prosecution's evidence? California-based attorney Lara Uretzian, whose past clients have included Scott Peterson and Michael Jackson, spoke to Fox News Digital. Uretzian believes that the prosecution have tried to put together the pieces of a puzzle, but said that each and every one of those pieces seems to have issues and weaknesses and places where a defense attorney can poke holes. Uretzian stated that the prosecutor's reliance on cell tower data could be a flaw if they don't have something more tangible linking Koberger to the crime scene. Uretzian said, and I quote, To me, that's never enough because you could be 10 miles away, 15 miles away even sometimes, depending on the radius it covers. End quote. She pointed to page 15 of the probable cause affidavit for Koberger's arrest, which notes that his phone pinged a cell tower in Moscow. But the affidavit then says the police do not believe Koberger actually entered the city on that date. Uretzian said, and I quote, so you're telling me in an affidavit that that's not reliable. How could a judge rely on that information? End quote. But Uretzian added that if prosecutors can prove Koberger's phone registered on the victim's Wi-Fi router, that would place him much closer to the crime scene. She said, and I quote, Even so, Due to the short distance between Koberger's apartment in Pullman, Washington, and the crime scene house in Moscow, Idaho, proximity alone does not prove the allegations. End quote. Uretzian asked, what if Koberger had a friend in the area he was going to visit? There may have been a very innocent reason for why he may have been in the area. I don't know. You don't know. For us, that's not enough, end quote. Uretzian also talked about the Van-style shoe print that was found outside of survivor Dylan Mortensen's door. Uretzian pointed out that it's a common style of shoe, and we know that many keen-eyed true crime watchers 
noticed that in the police body cam footage from a noise complaint to 1122 King Road, a young woman who answered the door was wearing Vans tennis shoes. A private investigator and former Miami-Dade homicide detective named Pat Diaz also questioned the van's shoe print and how that evidence might be attacked during a trial. Diaz said, and I quote, it could have been anybody coming out of that door, end quote. In addition, the two surviving roommates have acknowledged that other students arrived at the house on Sunday, November 13, 2022, before anyone dialed 911. So one of those students could have been wearing a pair of Vans shoes. So for sure, Koberger's defense team is going to try to chip away at the cell tower data that appears to indicate that their client visited the area around the victim's house on 11 separate occasions prior to the crime, as well as that shoe print. And all the defense needs to do is create reasonable doubt in one juror. Lara Uretzian also talked about Dylan Mortensen's description of a masked man with bushy eyebrows. Uretzian said that despite Mortensen seeing the perpetrator in this manner, it is still considered circumstantial evidence because she did not actually see the masked man's face. Per Uretzian, a lot of guys have bushy eyebrows, and thus Dylan's description could fit a million guys. Moving on to the touch DNA discovered on the leather sheath that the cops found next to Maddie Mogan's body on her bed. Uretzian asked, how did it get there? Uretzian said that she can't say if Brian Koberger ever visited that house or if he knows the victims. She believes the defense team will likely look toward the possibility that there are other suspects who may have wanted to harm one or more of the victims. We also learned from reporter Howard Bloom, who writes for Airmail magazine, that the sheath had to be sent to a lab outside of Idaho after the Idaho crime lab failed to locate DNA on it. Many attorneys are saying that because nothing was found by the lab in Idaho and then the sheath was transported out of state for testing, this means the defense is going to have a field day pointing out the inadequacies of the Idaho crime lab. But former FBI agent Jennifer Koffendoffer doesn't believe this sheath testing situation will be a serious obstacle for the prosecution to explain away. She said, and I quote, The scientists will explain how they drew that DNA evidence, and I just don't think this is going to be the big deal that's being made out of it by Mr. Bloom. She pointed out that there will be additional evidence presented at trial including possible DNA recovered from Koberger's Hyundai Elantra that ties him to the crime. Moving on to what prominent attorney Alan Dershowitz, who helped represent O.J. Simpson as part of his dream team when he was tried for his wife Nicole and her friend Ron Goldman's death, said on long crime. Dershowitz pointed out that the probable cause affidavit only presents the prosecution's account of the events. 
He said that Koberger's defense team should be developing their own evidence right now. Dershowitz said, and I quote, You always assume your client is guilty, and then you go back from there. I'm going to surprise people when I say that a good criminal defense lawyer always starts with a presumption of guilt, not a presumption of innocence. If you assume your client is innocent, you'll make mistakes. You'll allow searches. You will allow him to speak to the police. Then you always keep in mind the possibility of a plea bargain. This is difficult in a case like this where there are so many deaths and so brutal that the lawyers, whoever they are, really have their work cut out for them, end quote. That was surprising to hear because I've listened to other defense attorneys say that they have to believe in their client's innocence in order to represent them in the first place. Dershowitz described evidence in the probable cause affidavit for Koberger's arrest, such as the cell phone records and the suspected car's proximity to the victim's house, as circumstantial evidence. I don't think that's any surprise, though, right? We knew that all of that is circumstantial. Dershowitz also said this of a defense attorney's role, and I quote, You're looking to try to explain away the physical, indisputable evidence in a way that presents the possibility of innocence or at least reasonable doubt, end quote. This, Dershowitz suggested, could be done by putting all other parties on the stand. He said, and I quote, often putting the police on trial, putting the prosecution on trial, and deflecting attention away from the defendant toward other people can be an approach that's worth pursuing as well, end quote. This reminds me of exactly what Dershowitz and the other members of the Dream Team did during O.J.'s trial. The Dream Team's strategy was basically to undermine the prosecution's evidence by saying that you can't trust the messenger because the messenger, meaning the prosecution, the police, the crime scene investigators, etc., all lied to you. O.J.'s Dream Team effectively put the Los Angeles Police Department on trial. The character of one of their detectives, who was among the first at the crime scene, meaning at Nicole Simpson's condo, was put on trial. That detective was Mark Furman. When Furman was called to testify regarding his discovery of evidence in the case, including the bloody glove that he claimed he recovered at Simpson's estate, he found his character on trial. The defense team had unearthed tapes on which Furman was recorded making disturbing racist comments and using derogatory terms for African Americans. It was such an upsetting thing to hear in the middle of O.J.'s trial. Those recordings helped pave the way for the defense team to suggest that Furman was an untrustworthy, immoral witness who tried to frame O.J. Simpson by taking a bloody glove from Nicole Simpson's condo and planting it at Simpson's Brentwood estate. Dershowitz also told Law and Crime 
that Brian Koberger needs to be questioned because he, not Dylan Mortensen, is the most important witness in the case. Here's how he explained it. He, meaning Koberger, may have a reason why his cell phone was off or explain that he frequents that area of Moscow, Idaho, which is not unreasonable given that he lives about 10 miles away. In the end, it may be that he had a relationship. We have no real evidence of this with any of the alleged victims or their friends. So what you're looking for is possible innocent explanations, or at least explanations that create reasonable doubt, end quote. What Dershowitz said there definitely points to why the Moscow police have demanded that TikTok and Google hand over the user history dating back to January of 2021 for three of the four victims, Madison Mogan, Kaylee Gonsalves, and Zana Cronodo. The police did not appear to ask for Ethan Chapin's history. I would guess that the police are trying to see if Koberger did communicate in any way, shape, or form with any of the female victims before 2022, or if he was sort of cyber-stalking them from afar before he arrived in Pullman, Washington. As for Dershowitz's take on Koberger's DNA being found on the sheath, he said, It's very damning evidence, but not impossible to challenge or dismiss. Here's another quote from Dershowitz. I won a case some years ago that seemed like it was open and shut, and we found out the lab had made mistake after mistake after mistake, and our client was acquitted, end quote. So there we go again with the lab situation. The two labs in question, the one in Idaho and the other out-of-state lab, are definitely going to be put on trial by Koberger's defense team. But Dershowitz explained that we'll have to wait until the trial, if there is one, to learn the admissible evidence, the defenses, corroborating witnesses, I can never say that word, or Koberger's testimony if he decides to take the stand. And he concluded his interview with this statement, which for those of us who put a lot of stock in the touch DNA that was found on the sheath and then linked to Koberger, is reassuring. Dershowitz said, and I quote, the likely outcome does, at this point in time, point to probable guilt. And the American tradition of every defendant, particularly those who are most unpopular, deserve a zealous defense. So this man should get a zealous defense. That doesn't guarantee an acquittal or even a hung jury. All he's entitled to is a zealous defense, not a verdict, end quote. I'm going to leave it at that for today. Hey, do your girl here a favor. Smash that like button. It helps so much with the algorithms. And I'll see you next time on Bed Crime Stories.